We're going to read tonight from the Holy Scriptures. We're turning to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 18. I'm going to break into the chapter. We're reading from verse 24. <coughs> Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 24. Let's hear God's word tonight. And if you have a copy of the Bible with you, then we encourage you not only to hear, but to turn to the place and see the words for yourself. That way it'll help to stick in your mind. And let's remember the Bible's no ordinary book, it's God's book. And we think of the word Bible, young people, be instructed before leaving earth. It's, it's an instruction manual uh, on who God is and what he's like and what he has done for us in Christ. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 24. Let's hear the word of God. But when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. In his trespass that he hath trespassed and in his sin that he hath sinned, in them shall he die. Yet ye say, the way of the Lord is not equal. Hear now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? When a righteous man turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and dieth in them, for his iniquity that he hath done shall he die. Again, when the wicked man turneth away from his wickedness that he hath committed, and doeth that which is lawful and right, he shall save his soul alive, because he considereth and turneth away from all his transgressions that he hath committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet saith the house of Israel, The way of the Lord is not equal. O house of Israel, are not my ways equal? Are not your ways unequal? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text this evening is taken from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18, that we have read together, at least in part. And I want us to look at the words from verse 30, right through to verse 32. And my theme tonight is entitled God's Pronouncement or God's Warning to Every Creature. Now Ezekiel 18 is a very powerful chapter. 32 verses, they all make for very interesting reading. And when after you've read it, then you're going to ask yourself, well, what's it all about? Well, let me try and explain the Apostle 
um, sorry, the, the Ezekiel the prophet is having a discussion with God's people. He has been instructed to ask them in the Lord's name, verse 2, what mean ye? That ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The father have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. So he's quoting this well-known proverb among them, and he's um, stating simply and bluntly that they believed in their hearts and in their minds that they were facing exile, facing slavery for their parents and their ancestors' sake. In other words, they felt they were the innocent victims here and they should not be held accountable or responsible for the sins of their forefathers. So they began to question the judgment and the fairness of God. And that's why God, of course, asked them uh, this question in verse 25. Yet ye say, the way of the Lord is not equal. Here now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways un? So the Lord tells them that they will not use this proverb anymore. Why? Because they've forgotten this truth. And the truth is about individual moral responsibility toward God. God is teaching in this chapter, and here's the truth. Only the person who wickedly and willfully lives in their sin, that individual shall die in his or her sins. That's what it says in verse 4, Ezekiel 18, verse 4. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now, that's a sermon all by itself. God is saying, you have got this idea, you've got this notion, this mindset, that the son is going to pay for the father's sins, held accountable, be responsible. Or, or the father's going to pay for the um, son's sins. Or the citizens are going to pay for the sins of the crown a sort of kind of intergenerational responsibility. And God is saying, no, that mindset's wrong. That idea is wrong. That opinion's wrong. It's not scriptural. It's not according to law. It's not according to the scales of true justice. What this chapter is teaching is this, that if a man is truly righteous before God, that is, he has a true justifying righteousness, and that man or woman will evidence that righteousness by righteous acts and by righteous living. If that man turns from his or her sin and truly repents before God, then that person will live before me. Not only live physically by my strength and power, but, but live with me in eternity. But if a person who merely professes to live a righteous life but it's only an outward shell of a profession and turns from that profession and goes into a life of sin and wickedness, then that man or that woman is in danger of dying in his or her sins. And that's what we're learning from this chapter. We also learn from this chapter that the Lord truly judges every man according to his beliefs, according to his lifestyle, according to his works. You see, the Lord sees the heart. Isn't this what Jeremiah said? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, and, and who can know it? And you see, the Lord himself won't condemn any man on account of another man's sins. So he not condemn the son on account of the father's sins. He not condemn the father on, a, on, on, a, on account of his grandfather's sins. And on top of that, the Lord won't commend or, or credit another man on the account of what another man has done. Because the Lord is 
a righteous judge. The Lord is no respecter of persons. Listen to these words in verse 30 as the prophet Ezekiel sums up. Therefore I will judge you, house of Israel, every one according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore turn yourselves and live ye. Now I want you to think of those three verses and write beside them, at least in your mind, God's pronouncement to every creature. Now there's three things when I read this came to mind. Here's the first thing. Man's reaction to this pronouncement of divine judgment. Notice verse 30. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, saith the Lord God. The word therefore means in light of this. And in this chapter you'll read the words abominations, you'll read the word sins, you'll read the word transgressions, you'll read the word iniquity. And God is saying, in light of your abomination, your sin, your transgression, your iniquity, I will judge you individually, O house of Israel. I will judge everyone according to his or her ways. Now think of these words. I will judge you. So I want you to think of divine judgment. What does that mean? Is there not a severity about that? When God says, I will judge you. Is that not something that's sure and certain? Something that's going to happen? Think of the standard about it. God will use the standard of his law. The Ten Commandments. He'll point out to you all that's forbidden in these commandments. But he'll also point out all that's required by way of duty. There's also a sentence here of divine judgment. God is speaking. And I believe that the guilty sign can be hung over every individual sinner before God. And the message is that if that individual sinner lives and dies in that state, he will hear those faithful words that were found in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 7 and verse um, uh, 23. Remember the Lord says this in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 23. And them will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And over in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, we read those uh, terrible words linking into these words. And it's this. He says there, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now this is a, a severe standardized sentence of divine judgment something that's severe and inevitable and for those who are not truly born again or genuinely saved God sends out this message he makes this divine pronouncement now what's man's reaction to it see this pronouncement of judgment to come this plain statement of judgment to come it's not causing men to fear. 
It's not causing men to tremble before God. It's not crushing their conscience. It's not correcting their behavior, their conduct. It's not stopping men in their tracks. It's not stopping women in their tracks. In, in fact, when they hear of divine judgment, that a severe divine judgment is coming, and it's standardized by measuring uh, with God's absolute standard of perfection and holiness, his moral laws reflected in his moral character, and that that sentence will fall one day upon you. What's their reaction? Well, they laugh, they mock, they pour scorn, and, and they deny that. Why? Because they don't know who God is. They, they have no cognizance of the awful holiness of God. As sinful and fallen men, you see, have a God of their own imagination, a God of their own image. And, and they have refused and rejected and failed to recognize the God of the Bible. And down through the centuries, time and time again, men and women have made their own gods. Have they not made gods of creeping things, like bugs and beetles? Have they not called them God? There was a time when men cut down a tree, they used it to light a fire, they used it to bake some bread and heat their body, but they also used part of it and fashioned it into a god and fell down and worshipped. They did the same with stone. And then they started to worship the sun and the moon and the stars. You only have to think of the Tower of Babel. Now men and women are worshipping the god that we call self. And they're not willing to believe what the Bible teaches about God, that he is the living and the true God, that he's creator and maker, that, that, that he's the Lord God omnipotent who reigns. And, and, and they make a God of their own imagination. And they totally reject what the Bible says about God himself. It's not what the book of Romans teaches. Look at Romans chapter 1 for a moment. Romans chapter 1, and we read there from the verse 20, an amazing statement. And this is what it says. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal bar and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but become vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds. And four-footed beasts and creeping things. And you see, if you talk to people today, as I've talked to some last week, talking about God, they talked about him as the man upstairs. They talked about him as the big bearded guy. They, they, they talked about him who was the body in the sky. And I want to tell you tonight, that's akin to blasphemy. That's a great evil. And why do men say that and think like that? Because they know nothing of the living and the true God. And they've forgotten that God is a holy God, that he's a jealous God, jealous for his glory, his name, his son, his word, his people. And as Paul says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God because our God's a consuming fire. And here's why men don't tremble at the pronouncement of divine judgment, because they don't know who God is. There's nothing of, of the awful holiness of our God. And I'll tell you something else. They don't tremble at the thought of God's judgment because they have no sense of sin. They don't see their lifestyle as sinful. They don't see unbelief as sin. They don't see not loving God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength as sin. They, 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 they don't believe that knowing to do good and doing it not it is sin. They don't believe that all unrighteousness is sin. 
They don't believe that not living in light of eternity and having God at the center of their life is sin. See, they think, well, they're not too bad. Oh, they've made a few mistakes. But they don't see themselves as a guilty, hell-deserving sinner. You see, it's all about a process of self-justification. They don't tremble at God's judgment because they don't believe in the Bible teaching about hell. They don't believe the plain statements of the Bible about judgment to come. They don't believe in hell. They don't believe it's a real, literal place. They don't believe what the Bible says about it. They don't believe in a judgment to come. They don't believe it. That's the bottom line. That's why they don't tremble. And yet many are only a heartbeat from it. And, and they don't believe that a, a, a righteous, holy, and just, and loving God would ever put them in a state of eternal darkness. In a place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And in the opinion of men, but God is love. And that is true. But God is also holy. God is just. God hates sin. And God will judge sin when God finds that sin in the individual. And every individual is responsible and accountable to God for his own sin and his own lifestyle. That's why Ezekiel could say, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And remember what we read in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. Here's the Lord Jesus. We could turn to many references tonight. But he says there in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, Fear not them which can kill the body, but rather. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, unless the sinner repents, and unless he repents and becomes converted through our Lord Jesus Christ, one day they're going to perish in their sin. Jesus said three times in John 8, 22 to 24, if you die in your sins where I am, you cannot be. And tonight, here's part of the message of the Bible, that souls are lost in their sin, and they're perishing perishing now and in danger of perishing eternally and to these lost perishing souls here's the message the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus come into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief and isn't it wonderful news tonight that perishing lost sinners can be gloriously saved if we think of the words of John 3 and 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And what does he say in verse 17? For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth in him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And, and that is part of the great message of the good news of the gospel. And, and listen to what God says here in verse 32. Look at Ezekiel. For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. You see, there are some, sadly, we'll call them hyper-Calvinists tonight, who preach that God delights to damn sinners. I don't find it in the book. Here's a message 
through Ezekiel, for I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. I don't believe that God delights to damn sinners. He takes no pleasure in the damnation of the lost. Now why do men perish? Why do they end up dying in their sins? Here's the answer. On account of their own sins, there's a refusal to know God. There's a refusal to recognize their sin for what it is. There's a refusal tonight to, to understand that there is such a thing as divine judgment and a place called hell. And if they refuse to own up to the reality of hell and refuse the way to heaven, which is Christ, then that makes their doom all the more terrible. Man's reaction to the pronouncement of divine justice, he doesn't tremble. He has no fear. He has no thought. That's why you can hang the sign of guilty over a vast multitude in Northern Ireland and beyond tonight. Only God can open their eyes, their ears, their hearts. I want you to think secondly and very quickly here, the maker's revelation of this pronouncement of divine just judgment. I want you to discover three things as revealed here in verse 30. Notice the words here. So iniquity shall not be your ruin. You see, there's such a thing tonight as the ruin of sin. Sin pays wages. Romans 6 and 23, for the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Ezekiel 18, there's actually four words for sin. There's abominations. There's the word sin itself, which means missing the mark. There's the word iniquity which means um, breaking a known law. So it has to do with rebellion. Think of an orchard, young people, and you're walking down the road and there's a big sign, no trespassing, or trespassers will be prosecuted. And, and what do you do? Well, you fancy a juicy apple, so you ignore the sign, you hop over the fence, and what you're doing is you're really rebelling. You have no authority or permission from the owner to, to go and do that. that, that that's what iniquity, or, or that's what transgression is. It's a breaking of known law. And sin, remember, is the transgression of the law. And then you've got this other word, iniquity, which has to do with perverseness. The sin built bias to sin. The heart is deceitful. I've already quoted Jeremiah 17 and 9. Uh, and and uh, deceitful and desperately wicked, and who can know it? Think of these words. So iniquity shall not be your ruin. What does the word ruin mean? Well, we, we would think about a person being ruined financially, a loss of wealth and possessions, loss of lifestyle and privilege. A, a ruin can also mean destruction. Think of the demolition of a great city, a city that was once great, reduced to rubble. And you only have to think of places like Pompeii, read about it in Wikipedia. But it also means a stumbling block. You, you've been ruined by a fall. And it's brought you into sin. It's meant that you've missed the mark. It meant that you've rebelled against a known law. It, it, it has caused you to, to manifest a spirit of perverseness. And it's led to, to an abomination, which is something that's heinous and, and, and despisable in the eyes of God. And sin and transgression and iniquity always causes ruin, young people. And it affects us morally. It affects us intellectually, it affects us mentally, it affects us spiritually, it affects us temporally, it affects us physically. 
That's why the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. And what does ruin do? Well, it it brings dearth and disaster. It brings even death in its wake. You think of the prodigal son for a moment. Where did he end up in the far country? When he spent his money and right his living, he ended up, remember, feeding the pigs. You see, he run to riot. Riot is living. That was his mindset. That was his joy, his delight for a time. But it led to ruin. And sin always does that. Sin brings ruin. And I want you to think about the, the ruin of sin. You see, if we were to survey the world's history tonight, we would read in First, Second Peter chapter 2, it says in verse 4, For of God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved on the judgment. As we survey the world's history, even the angels that sinned were, were cast out of heaven. They're, they're, they're now reserved in chains of darkness, waiting judgment. We, we, we could think about Noah. And the Bible says, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of ungodly. We, we, we could think about Adam, and we could ask, well, where did sin come from? And we would get the answer, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We, we could look for Babel tonight, and we could see men scattered because of sin all over the face of the world with different languages. We, we could look tonight for uh, Sodom and Gomorrah uh, and we wouldn't find it. you know why? Because it says here in Second Peter 2 and 6 and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes condemned them with an overflow making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. You think of Rome tonight. 400 years imperial Rome held sway Nothing on earth could touch her. A great economic power. The political cohesion. The military might. The sense of justice. And yet Rome was ruined from within. And you think of many other major cities. Towns and even villages. Where war and famine and injustice and disease has come. And war is of course a terrible thing. The scourge of any society and country. Bringing in its wake bloodshed and tears and oppression and fear and hardship. You, you, you think of sickness in people's bodies. And ultimately it can be traced back to uh, our sin in Adam. It can be traced back to what happened in the garden. And ultimately we're responsible and accountable to God for our sin. The guilt of that first transgression. And all additional guilt. And accountable for the pollution of our hearts. And even we bring it up to the 21st century. You think of the plague of AIDS that has broke out. That's really a cesspool of man's own making, a result of sinful lifestyle choices. You think of those that are addicted to alcohol tonight and the spirit of drunkenness that's abroad. Young people getting blocked out of their mind and can't remember or even uh, know where they're at or what they were doing. You you, you think of drugs tonight and the, the scourge of drug addiction and how it affects the judgment, affects people's hearts, affects their mind. You think of the explosion of pornography, how it's ruined many young lives and and broken up many families. You see, it's affecting people. That's what I'm saying. 
Sin leads to ruin. There is such a thing as the ruin of sin. And it's affecting people physically and mentally. It's affecting them intellectually, spiritually, temporally, physically, comprehensively. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. And if you tonight are listening and you have no fear, thought, and regard for God, you have a love for sin, you're running in the road of darkness, you hate the light, then you tonight are in danger of hellfire. And God has a revelation for you. And the revelation is this. There's such a thing as the ruin of sin. Sin pays wages. Very quickly, there's such a thing as repentance from sin. What's God's revelation? Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions. Do you hear that? What is true repentance tonight? Let me quote our catechism. Repentance unto God is a saving grace. Whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. You see, repentance has been sorry enough to quit. It's the soul's divorce from sin. I am sorry, God. That's the nature of repentance. Recognizing sin for what it is. Agreeing with God what God says it is. It's not attempting to redefine sin. It's not attempting to excuse sin. It's not to make yourself look good. It's not to present a positive self-image. No, to see sin as missing the mark. It's not a great mistake. It's not just a wrong. It's a missing of God's standard. It's a transgression of God's law, 1 John 3 and 5. It's something vile and heinous. And we we have lost sight of that. It's really a hellish, perverse thing. Because that's what iniquity is. It's a perverseness. It's a bent and a bias to go this way. You see, you young people, you're told by your teachers, not all teachers. Some teachers are saved and we appreciate and thank God for that. But many are not. Professors in the university in particular... Don't listen to that old Bible thumper. There's no harm in your sinful activity. No harm in this sinful pleasure. You, you go ahead, you're young, you, you enjoy life. And whether it's in the boozer or whether it's through drugs or sexual fulfillment out of marriage or, or, or pornography or, or whatever it is, your chief sin is and you're led into. I'm saying tonight, you think of this, there's such a thing as the ruin of sin, but there's also such a thing as repentance from sin. Here's the scripture that says in the book of Proverbs, Solomon was a wise man. This is what he says. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You see, salvation isn't in your terms. It's not, well, God, let's meet in the middle here. Let's have a conversation. Let's negotiate. No, the Lord demands a full surrender. He says, repent and turn from your transgression." That's a royal command. That's a divine imperative. Remember the Lord Jesus said in Luke 13 and 5, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. It's saying goodbye to a life of sin. The soul's divorce from a life of sin. No longer allowing sin to control and dominate you. And not only is your life saved and soul saved, but you're separated unto God. And the mindset is, and I was singing it this week, The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. You see, the sad thing today, and this is is the problem in some of our pulpits today, 
ministers who are preaching the gospel don't understand the gospel. And people of this ideology, how can I be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and still live in the sin and live like the devil and live to enjoy all the world that has to offer? I want to tell you, you can't because it betrays a mindset that you know nothing of true repentance. And it's nothing to do with making the decision 20 years ago. Because repentance is not a part-time thing. It, it, there's initial repentance, but there's a continual repentance. Turning from a life of sin to the Savior. And the mindset is Christ for me, my prophet, my priest, my king. You see, it's vital that you understand that. I'm not asking you if you've made, if made a profession 20 years ago. I'm not asking if your name's in a roll or, or in a stone outside or inside a church building. I'm not interested if you're a good giver. I'm not even asking if you name the name of Christ or Christianity. Because the danger is without true repentance, it may not be true. And if we're found out in that day, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. It was people who professed to know the Lord. Lord, we're saved. Let us into heaven. And what did he say? Depart from me. Ye cursed, ye workers of iniquity, into everlasting fire. Hell's real, folks. It's something that's sure and certain. There's a real torment. The worm doesn't die there. The fire's not quenched there. And you think of a, a burning, fiery, never-ending torment where you have every memory brought to your mind, every track given, every sermon you heard, and, 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 and every person that sought to point you to Christ. And you remember their prayers for you, but, but yet you're in hell and there's no escape. Such a thing as repentance of sin. Quickly. There's such a thing as remission of sin. What does he say? Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions. The thought is, turn to me. Turn to me. You see, there's forgiveness with him that he's to be feared. And if you repent and turn to God tonight through our Lord Jesus Christ, and you're genuinely sorry for all your sins, all your sins will be put under the blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Never to be mentioned again. Thy sins and iniquity I'll remember no more. Never held against you. I, even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake. People today want to find freedom. I think of the Sussexes tonight. And their book, Finding Freedom, which I've never read. But I think of the title, Finding Freedom. The true freedom is only found in Christ. To whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Where you can put your head in the pillow. And no matter whether you've got sickness in the body. No matter if the world's crashing in around you. You can say, it is well with my soul. Because you've been pardoned from every sin. You've been passed from death unto life. There's such a thing as the ruin of sin, such a thing as repentance of sin, such a thing as the remission of sin. And that's the revelation, the maker's revelation of this pronouncement of divine justice. I want you to think of this as we finish. The masker's resolution to this pronouncement of divine justice. If you look at the words in the text, therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his way, saith the Lord God. You see, God is speaking. 
And he wanted the people through Ezekiel to realize if you could see and grasp the ruin of sin. Think of that. Listen to my voice. And if you could seek and grasp this concept of repentance of sin. That will lead you to the remission of sin. Then this is what I'm resolved to do. You will live before me. Not only in time, but throughout all eternity. The scripture says today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. See, God wants men and women to live. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He has no delight to damn sinners. He summons sinners. He speaks to them through his word. He speaks to them through the preaching of the gospel. And what does he say? Repent and turn. Recognize me. Acknowledge me, creator, maker, redeemer, judge, living and true God, savior of sinners. And receive me. He doesn't want you to die in your sins. You have a moral responsibility tonight. You have a choice to make. You're, you're accountable to him. And here's his resolution. If you repent and turn to him, he promises you life. Not only life now, but fullness of life and eternal life in the world to come. Remember the Savior said, I am come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Here's God's pronouncement to every creature. I wonder what's our reaction to the news of divine judgment. Will we receive the revelation? Will we listen to his resolution? What he's promising to do for us. And he puts the onus and responsibility to us. May the Lord give you enabling and deciding grace tonight as you have listened to his word.